Welcome to this episode of Motherhood in Black and White. We just want to start off by thanking everybody for the fantastic reviews and the response we're getting. So great. So much fun. It's fun. I yeah. actually look forward to this. Same. I was working on a school all day today, and then when it was time to get ready, I got so excited. I jumped in the car. I was so happy to come and take a break and spend some time with you. Share with our family about your schooling, because we know that you were graduating from college when you were pregnant with Gage. That's right. So 10 years later, I decided to go back, and I'm actually working on my MBA. So if it goes well, I've got one, two, three, four semesters left. Get it, girl. I know. And this is the last week of this semester. So it's all school all the time. I got to get my focus together, tie it up. You'll do it. I love it. So you are just doing your thing. Absolutely. Doing it. it. Just spreading it real thin. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's another way of saying it's all about perspective. That's right. That's right. So I shared with you how I'm taking care of my assignments this week. Kaji, do you remember what your assignment this week was? You are the only person in this studio who is in school right now. I am not in school. I did not have any homework assignments to do. Excuse me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, you did. Guys, if you didn't hear it before, on our last episode, I gave Kaji a little assignment that she was supposed to handle this week. Yes, you did. Yes. So the assignment was to take the Enneagram test. That's right. And you had never heard of it before. I'd never heard of it until you mentioned it when we first got together and decided to do this podcast thing. Yes. What did you call it? The eeny, meeny, mighty something? Yeah. Something like that. Because <laughs> and we talk about how when you're aware of something, you see it everywhere. Everywhere. And after you mentioned the Enneagram test, every single person I talked to was like, oh, I'm an Enneagram three, I'm an Enneagram five, I'm an Enneagram seven. And I didn't know what they were talking about. But thanks to you, Tara, I do. It's the new label. It's like the, we used to introduce ourselves by our Myers-Briggs types, but now we're introducing ourselves with our Enneagram numbers. (laughs) I don't know how you were raised. I never introduced myself. It was like, hi, I'm Kanji. I'm a Gemini. Because you were just a perfectionist and everything, you were like, I have the Myers-Briggs type. I know what my personality is. All I knew was that there was Jupiter rising somewhere in my <laughs> I was born in a Saturn moon. That's what I know. That's what that I know. Was it. You know, when the moon is in the seventh house, that's how I know what I'm going to operate. <laughs> so yes, I took the Enneagram test today. Okay. And we will share my results. But let's talk a little bit about what you think my results are going to be because girl you are still getting to know me and yes still getting to know each other yes and as someone who has known me for a couple of years kind of and yeah. we talked on this a little bit about how we got to know each other and how you came into my orbit how you came into my jupiter and planetary alignment yeah and we mentioned that we knew each other because we Spent a lot of time together early in the morning. Early in the morning. At a bar. Yes. And let's share with our family exactly what that experience was. I was thinking about my guest for your Enneagram, and it was kind of difficult because we've known each other in a very specific role. Specific relationship we had established. So I'd only really seen this role for you. So for our podcast listeners, Kanji was an indoor cycling instructor at a studio I went to, and I started going there a couple years ago, and she was the instructor for my very first class. Oh, was I? Yes. I don't remember that. Yes, I cycled in the very back row, and you tried to kill me. That's what I do with people. (laughs) I did not accomplish that mission. She was so so good at her job. So for the next couple years, we just got to know each other. I would come into the 5.30 a.m. class and you were the instructor. And so 
that role for us was you were my coach and my preacher and my instructor. And I was a very studious listener. And I do whatever Kanji said to do. (laughs) It was a very specific relationship. Exactly. And I would say move to the front row and you move to the front row and you were so diligent and committed. Your work ethic in the cycling studio was amazing, which is how I knew after looking at the different personality types Uh without you even telling me, (laughs) I knew that you were the type three, which is the achiever. The achiever. So we're going to go through podcast family, what the different personality types are. Mm -hmm. And because you know a little bit about us, think about when you're hearing it, what you think my personality type is, and also think a little bit about yourself. And if you have not taken the Enneagram test, which personality type are you? Yeah. Yeah, Here we go. So type one is the reformer. Mm -hmm. The reformer is a rational, idealistic type extremely principled, self-controlled, and perfectionist. Do you know anyone in your life who would be a number one, Tara? You know, even like a celebrity. I thought I was a type one before I took the test. I was immediately like, oh, I'm obviously a type one. I feel like I might be looking at a type one right now. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) I originally thought my husband might be a type one. He can be a bit of a perfectionist. I know a lot of perfectionists in my life. Let me think about a celebrity. Oh, Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, the hip hop producer that cannot put an album out because he wants it to be exactly right. And we never got that one that I want detox. We never got detox. We never got it. We talked about it and never delivered. But he just could not get comfortable with it. Come on, let's go. Let's get it. What would you rather sell somebody? $300 headphones or $10 tape? (laughs) Yeah, because I think type ones are on a, a sense of a mission and it is that perfection. And their biggest fear, according to the Enneagram Institute, is being defective couple of really famous examples of type ones are Nelson Mandela, mm-hmm. Al Gore. The earth has a fever that is growing more and more intense. George Harrison of the Beatles, the actress Meryl Streep. I get that. I, I get totally that on get Meryl. That. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I that love makes her sense. movies. She is the most talented actress we have on this planet. She's so good. She's fantastic. She's so good. That thing goes for my baby. <laughs> and apparently Mary Poppins. <laughs> She really did like things very clean. She liked it a certain way. Very tidy. Just a spoonful of sugar. Not a, <laughs> she was very specific in her needs. Very specific. That's the type one. Yes. The reformer. The type two is the helper. Mm. The helper is someone who is a caring, interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, a people pleaser, and also possessive. Yeah, I actually know a type two. She's a very dear friend of mine. And when she took her test and came back and was like, I'm a type two, I'm like, of course you are. (laughs) That's so obvious. (laughs) I am not a people pleaser. This was not in my top three when I took the test and no one could be surprised. What people do get surprised about when they hear one of the attributes of a type two is someone who was a, like a servant. You think of a servant or a waitress. Oh, yeah. And in yeah. a previous life, I was both of those. I was a waitress in college. Mm-hmm. And right after I graduated, I was a teacher. And then I was a waitress slash servant in the sky. I was a flight attendant for many years. Did you know that, Tara? You know, you've mentioned this before, and I keep putting a pin on it because I need to come back to that at some point. <laughs> 
you have mentioned it before, and every time it kind of flies by, like, I gotta talk to her about that. Flies by like the airplane, like That's an interesting in the sky. little tidbit I didn't know. Yeah, so in the late 90s, I was a flight attendant, and that is the career that took me to New York. I was 22, and I moved up to New York as a flight attendant for a national airline. And it was great. It was amazing to be that young and living in Manhattan. Yeah. I lived in a crash pad with a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. and just flew all around. I saw the world. Uh, I was talking to another one of Roman's mom friends, and I told her that I used to be a flight attendant for many years. And she looked at me very bewildered. And she said, <laughs> I just don't ever see you <laughs> serving anybody. It doesn't quite fit. It doesn't, and, and so now we know, clearly, not a two. Not a two. But not the, an airline attendant But anymore. I did it for many years. And it was before 9-11. It was a different world back yeah. then. I loved it. I loved flying for free. I loved seeing the world. And I made some wonderful friends that are still with me to this day but Aww. also realized that popping coke cans in the sky was was not going to be my long-term not, plan not no. for the long term i get that yeah not at all and number three that's me this is tara and yes. others number three is the achiever so why don't you tell us about number three tara since this is all you sure totally- absolutely so the um three enneagram is success oriented very pragmatic very adaptable excelling driven and image conscious one of the things that really struck a chord for me when i was looking at type three is that one of the biggest fears is that uh you would you're worthless mm-hmm. that you're only worth like what you do and what you produce and when i read that i was like oh oh, no you felt (laughs) that is you felt you felt seen that is uh, somebody knows what's going on (laughs) and uh and it's interesting when you get into these types what i love about this system is that they give you sort of where you are when you're at your strongest and where you are when you're at your weakest and it's all meant to help you see what that is and and try to keep yourself in your sweet spot because there's strength and weaknesses for all of us. You know, everybody's type has something they're not great at, something they're great at. And yeah, that fear was very real for, it is very real for me. And I have to really watch myself when I'm trying to uh, produce for love to do and do to get love. What you won't do, you do for love. (laughs) I grew up with so much music in my life. I love it. Bring the lyrics all the time. When you told me that you were a type three, Mm I looked at the three overview and I realized that's what I wanted to be in my life. So this is what they say. They said on the Enneagram Institute, threes are often successful and well-liked because of all the types. They most believe in themselves and in developing their talents and capacities. Threes act as living role models. And that's great. I love all of that. That's you. That is totally you. You are all three. Thank you. I appreciate that. I try. I try my best. I I, uh, I've always been that a little bit of an achiever in general, and uh, I feel like in my older years now, I'm trying to do it more for good and less for attention. <laughs> type four. The type four is the individualist, and mm-hmm. the type fours are sensitive, self-aware, reserved, temperamental, and mm-hmm. extremely expressive. But they can also be moody and self-conscious. Type fours seem to be mostly, I would think, performers. 
Yeah, it makes sense to me they would be performers. You see a lot in the description of type four for creativity and emotion and passion. Uh, They're the romantics. Yes, that's right. Of the Enneagram. That's right. That would make sense to me that you would see performers and artists in that category for sure. They feel like they're different. They're special. Yes. I think of all of the Enneagram types that my husband would be Probably a number four. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of fits him. They're honest with themselves. They own their feelings. They're very emotional. And I think those are things. (laughs) It all sounds very familiar to you. It all sounds very familiar. In type five is the investigator. Mm -hmm. An investigator is someone who is very cerebral, perceptive, innovative, but also secretive and isolated. So I was wondering how these traits work together. How can you be an investigator, but also isolated. I think that you would need to be a part of a group to figure out what's going on. I don't know if that's true. You know, what's interesting about type five is that's actually, did you get into what a wing is in the Enneagram? You've given so many assignments. (laughs) What is a wing? So... So the test. (laughs) So a wing in an enneagram is clearly it's good to know your main type, but there's some fun little compliments that you should also be aware of. And those compliments are the wings. The wings. That's right. And so those are the numbers next to your number, and you look at whichever one ranged higher. And when I read the description for five, I remember thinking like that actually ties to me a little bit as well. And Hmm. I think about. People who do like investigative reporting and these podcasts that come out that people get really involved in like one story that they're trying to work through. And I could see how if you get really obsessed about trying to figure something out, you might get a little isolated. Albert Einstein was a five. See, studying, working through his stuff, makes all kind sense. of keeping it quiet. Yep, very obsessed with their what the work is they're doing. An innovator, and I would probably think that someone like Benjamin Franklin would be as well. That would make sense. Mm, good, I like that it. Makes sense. I am not number five. Honestly. <laughs> number six, the loyalist. the loyalist. The loyalist is someone who's committed, security oriented, engaging, responsible, and a little anxious. Mm. Some of the famous sixes are Malcolm X, Eminem, Chris Rock. It's just an amazing feeling. Marilyn Monroe and Jennifer Aniston. That's an interesting. Is it a great mix of people? Yes. It's a very interesting mix of people. Also on the list is Seinfeld's George Costanza, but I think I need to tell the people <laughs> at the Institute that he's not really a person. That's not a real person. So how could he take the test? I'm very confused. But I guess that they would say that based on his personality attributes and his ability to just come up with holidays. I mean, my family, we still celebrate Festivus. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We, we don't we've talked about it, but Festivus, we don't celebrate it. Festivus for the rest of us. So sixes are always aware of their anxieties and are looking forward for ways to construct social security around them. Yeah, I could see how the anxiety would come into play due to needing the rules to stay the same and look the same and needing that structure. Mm -hmm. And and we all know that things change all the time. (laughs) And uh, with the sixes, their sense of security, they want to avoid being put in the line of fire. Mm. And the Institute mentions an old Japanese adage that says the blade of grass that grows too high gets chopped off. And that is the biggest fear of a six. I thought this was very interesting to kind of see what the different types were and how people fit into different categories. Number seven, another spoiler, this is not me, but in my (laughs) heart of hearts, when I was taking this test, and before Uh I took the test, I looked at all of the descriptions. 
And of all of the personality types, the one that I wanted to be and the one that I absolutely know that I'm not is a number seven. So the number seven is the busy, fun-loving type, spontaneous, versatile, and scattered. And I would love for someone to call me fun-loving, but nobody calls you fun-loving. No one calls me fun-loving. I think you're very fun-loving. You just say that because you're afraid I'm going to make you cycle at I 130 mean, RPM. I mean, okay, but make still. Make you climb a really heavy hill as a cycle instructor. <laughs> Let me tell you, the good thing about being an indoor cycling instructor and having you as a student is that you were always fun-loving. You were always coming into a room and I knew how to motivate you. I would just put on, you know, 90s hip hop and you would get yes. going. Yes. And I can see that you would have an opinion of how I would be based on that environment because I tried to be in a good mood five in the morning, even if I was tired, if I was sleepy, because I knew that you and the other students in the class had woken up in the middle of the night. It was really dark. And if I hadn't given 100% of myself and put on that brave, happy face, Mm -hmm. you guys wouldn't have done the same. So I think that that's that type of energy that I fed off of you. And I hope that you were able to feed off of me. But Well, that's interesting, too, because that brings into this whole discussion about can you put on a face of a different type? You know, Mm, it gets a little muddy, right? Yeah. yeah. And whether or not you are just one type, or as you say, the wings are rising. Yeah. I don't know. Are you a seven wing five? (laughs) Number eight is the challenger. A challenger is a powerful dominating type who's self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. The challenger are strong, assertive types, but they're also protective, resourceful, and straight talking. I was looking at some of the examples of the eights, and that's celebrities such as Barbara Walters, Mm -hmm. Sean Penn. That sounds right. (laughs) Serena Williams, Senator John McCain, Ernest Hemingway, Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. And Tony Soprano. Again, I don't know why the Institute is putting fictional characters on this list. Maybe they understand that people relate to those characters. That's true. And so they're like, we're going to show you somebody that you really understand you've been watching and so it can make sense. Absolutely. That's an interesting mix. I will tell you, my husband is an eight. Really? Did he take the test? He took like, he couldn't sit through the whole thing. He took like a short form version. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of uh, knockoff version. Are there? So I did not have to spend the $12 that I did to take the test. I did. I spent the $12. I found the coin somewhere in the house, (laughs) which I probably should have donated because I didn't realized we were in a coin shortage in the United States. Oh, yeah. I found the coins. I took the test because I said I was going to. That's right. And I knew that I had to come back to you, Tara, with the answer Mm -hmm. of what my personality type is. Mm -hmm. And the final one is the peacemaker, number nine. Mm -hmm. The peacemaker is easygoing, self-effacing, receptive, reassuring, and somewhat complacent. Nines are usually trusting and stable, creative, optimistic, and supportive but they can also be willing to go along with others just to keep the peace. Yes. And successful peacemakers are generally people who can navigate all of the personality types. Yes. This is a great number to be as well. Yes. Queen Elizabeth, George Bush, John F. Kennedy Jr., Colin Powell. You see a lot of examples on this list. Nines are negotiators, mediators, leaders. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to be a nine. Nine's a popular one. I've heard that from a lot of people that talk about this test that everybody kind of wishes they could be a nine. 
Really? Mm-hmm. I thought everybody would want to be a seven. Everyone wants to be fun loving. No, everyone <laughs> wants to be a nine. I think everybody wants to be somebody everybody, everybody likes. People want to be somebody they're not. <laughs> That's right? right. People want to be Always somebody be something they're else. not. It happens a lot. It does. And so with an understanding of mm-hmm. all of the types, mm-hmm. my friend. Yes. Which personality type do you think, according to Enneagram, yes. is my type? That's my type. That's okay. My type. I think you are either a one or a three. Okay. And just to recap, a one is the reformer. Yep. Rational, idealistic, principled, and purposeful. Yes. And the three is just Tara. Just me. <laughs> when you think three, think Tara. <laughs> so. So. Drum roll. Drum roll. What was it? We have to be, keep the suspense building. <laughs> That's right. The answer is I'm a six. What? I am a six. I am the loyalist. And I'm sure my husband is very excited to hear that and happy. The six (laughs) is committed, security oriented, engaging, responsible, and a little suspicious. I also have an eight rising. So the way the results came back was, I guess there were number of points allotted to each number. I had 21 points for a number six. I had 20 points for a number eight. Okay. And number eight is powerful, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. The challenger. Challenger. Interesting. The loyalist and the challenger. That's a weird little It is a very, very weird mix. But at the very bottom of the list Uh was the enthusiast. (laughs) (laughs) Not a seven. I'm not a seven. And I have to find a way to be okay with it. Taking this test made me question a little bit about the accuracy of this test. And I say that only because I'm a firm believer that our personalities are shaped and change and morph as we go through life. Mm -hmm. I think that when I was in college, some people who knew me back then would have said that I was number seven. I was more fun loving. I was definitely more spontaneous. But I also wonder who I would have been and what personality type I would have been if I had just gone through life the way I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. But there's so many factors that weigh into our personalities. One of them is our upbringing, our culture, the family that raised you, our extended family, the family that surrounded us, and how they poured into us as we were kids. Right. You're onto something there. Personality tests are super fun, right? Really fun. It was fun to take And it is nice to find things that make you feel seen and make you feel understood and and be like, yeah, that does sound like me. I think that's part of the fun for me. But it is interesting what you're saying because I would say that me being a three is partially a direct result of the childhood I had and, mm. and how I grew up. Like just looking at what it means to be a three at my best and my worst, yeah. I would tell you that it is absolutely attributed to kind of how I grew up and learned how to be a person. Gage is an only child. Were you an only child? No, I have a younger brother. Okay. And then along the way, I had an older stepsister at one point and a younger stepsister at one point. But it's me and my brother all the way through. Do you think that being the older sibling made you uh, more of a leader, more assertive? Yes, I do believe that being an older sibling, (laughs) being an older sibling makes you a leader and an achiever. And I think the older sibling gets totally different parents than the younger sibling. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's just science guys. (laughs) They're just way harder on the first one. And when the second one comes along, they're like, eh, it's all right. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, I think that that does contribute a little bit to my personality type. Are you the oldest? Do you have siblings? I have an unconventional nuclear family. Okay. 
And I will be very careful not to share experiences or stories that are not my own. Mm -hmm. But I'm comfortable saying that I am the middle child of my mother. And so I was raised with two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And the three of us grew up together. There's a difference being a middle child Mm -hmm. and that exposure because I never had anything to myself when I came into the world. My older brother was there. And when I left to college, my little brother was there. So I always had somebody around, which is a different experience than my son has. Because I had this unconventional nuclear family, I had step-siblings at various points in my Mm -hmm. life, like you touched on. As the only daughter, it was a challenge Mm. for my mom. And the saying that my aunts, who were not biologically related to me, but they were my mom's friends who Mm -hmm. raised me, used to tell me when I was growing up, because I used to say, man, why is my mom so hard on me? So She was so, so hard on me as opposed to my brother's. And my aunts would say to me, well, you have to understand, Conj, that black women love their sons, but they raise their daughters. Wow. And have you heard that before? I have not heard that. No, that is new. My mom would say, I go, how come he gets to do whatever he wants? And I have to, I can't. And she would say, it's different for boys. Mm, Yeah. It's different for boys. Raising a son. Do you feel that way? I think on some level, there is some old bias and programming in there, but I'm, I'm really trying to be a little bit more broad in the way that I'm raising him. I don't know if you had this experience, but you know, when I was younger, there was a huge difference in the way girls were treated versus boys. As far as raising them, you could see the difference. And I'm trying with Gage to be more open to before he was born. I remember finding out it was a boy Mm -hmm. and saying to a friend of mine, like, Oh, thank God, because <laughs> I'm not going to deal with all those feelings. And my friend who had raised a son goes, oh, honey, they have feelings. Absolutely. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and it kind of like, oh, like I really do have these old ideas yeah. about boys are a certain way and girls are a certain way. And uh, as soon as she said that, I was like, wow, I, I really need to think about what these old conditioned ideas are about what one is versus the other. But, you know, I think they're still there. I think I'm probably not as hard on him as I would have been on a girl. My upbringing, a lot of the my female cousins, we would see all of the boys around us being treated differently. Mm-hmm. And I grew up, my, my nuclear family, my extended family, we were all black people. And the boys were just allowed to kind of do whatever they wanted yes. to. And the girls were responsible for taking care of everything. I will never forget the one time I was sitting in the living room with my older brother and my grandmother said to me, Kanji, come and make your brother lunch. And I looked at her like, well, he can make his two hands. (laughs) He looked at me and was like, yeah, go make me lunch. And it was a pillow fight ensued after that. But my grandmother and my mom came from a place where we were loving on these boys and we were treating them with all of the goodness that we had and I was the one that did all the chores and helped my mom balance checkbooks. And and I learned how to be an adult in a lot of ways that my brothers probably necessarily didn't at the time because yeah. there was a sense of sheltering. Now raising a black son, I get it because I see how difficult and how hard the world is on them. And mm. I see a desire and a need to kind of protect them. Yes. And that's how I feel a little bit with Roman. And he gets that that love and the protection and the sheltering, hopefully not to the point where it's crippling him. Yeah. 
but I give it to them in a home probably more than I would girls. And I have nieces that I'm, I'm a little bit more difficult with mm-hmm. because I want my nephew and also my, my son to just feel sheltered and feel safe. Yeah. While you were talking, I was wondering, do you think that's because, and we know this to be true, I know this to be true, even though I'm not having the same experience, that the world looks at him as an adult before he actually is. And so when he's home, you know, you just want to be able to make sure he gets to be a kid. To answer your question, Tara, in a nutshell, yes. Mm. And that answer is actually supported by some research that was published by the American Psychological Association a few years ago. I need to find that article, and I hope that we can post it on our website and, and also in the show notes. But In that article, it showed that black boys as young as 10 are not viewed in the same light of childhood innocence as their white peers. Yes. The professor of that study had a quote in there. It said that black boys can often be seen as responsible for their actions at an age when white boys still benefit from an assumption that children are essentially innocent. Mm -hmm. And knowing that and seeing what's gone on in society the last few months makes me realize that his innocence is getting lost. It's getting lost faster than I would like it to. Yeah. With him going into middle school, I realized that society is not going to see him as the same innocent young kid as he would have been seen when he was in elementary school. That makes sense. And it's even more heightened with the state of the world today. Yeah. He came to me a couple of weeks ago after seeing a TikTok video and was just terrified about the Ku Klux Klan coming to Texas Mm. because there was a TikTok video about the KKK organizing in Manfield. Mm. And when we talked about one of the reasons we were doing this was sharing our experiences on things that I worry about as a black mother and some of my friends who are raising black children that we're concerned with and things that we worry about and things in addition to just raising kids in America, right? And how difficult yeah. that is. There's the, layer. A, the extra layer of also, okay, now I'm going to raise this kid who is a child of color in a society where a color can be seen as a threat, his, mm-hmm. you know, and, and seen as the, the history of dehumanization of, of black men and of black women and marginalization. And we look at trying to be, mainstream or teach my kid to be mainstream when we live in a society where we're marginalized, you know? Yeah. Being a mom shines a light and even a level of understanding of my own mother and my own grandmother. Because, because again, we're talking about generational things here. And I look at my mom, how she used to talk about how when she was given tasks and chores that her brothers weren't given, right? was it just something that was because of her sex, you know, because we had the way that males and females were being raised, but also we also have, because that was the way that black males and black females were being raised. Right. So do I give Roman a little bit of grace and a little bit of understanding and compassion and let him be a little bit more of a kid for a little longer, knowing that out there in the quote unquote real world, if he ever leaves the house again, (laughs) Um, I do. Yeah. But I also hope that it's not to his detriment. That's the hardest part. Thank you so much for sharing that too. I mean, I know that it's such a sensitive subject to talk about. I'm so glad we're doing this so we can have these conversations. I definitely see that with Gage, not in the same way. Obviously, it's for different reasons. But growing up, it was tough, childhood in general. And I was the oldest. A lot was expected of me. And then my husband was an only child. 
until he was like 14. So we just call him an only child. Yeah, an only child. Child. <laughs> so he does have siblings, but it was much later in the game. Neither one of us growing up had a lot, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and then we had Gage and he's an only child. So in the house without even meaning to, he can kind of be the center of the universe. And, yeah. you know, we can, we can do more for him than was done for us. And so we do that. And then sometimes we'll stop and be like, this guy doesn't have any adversity in his life. Like we he just doesn't to, understand yeah, the struggle. What are we, right. what are we doing here? I hope this isn't going to be the wrong move down the road. My, my child, you know, as an only kid, and this is the other aspect of it because we are both raised where, um, we had to learn how to share and mm-hmm. we both had siblings. Yes. My kid does not know these basic concepts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, he put something great. down and when he comes back, it's, it's still there. there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he lives in the suburbs and we did not. He, nope. And he just has a sense of safety and security. Like, so why are you leaving your bike on the street? Right. It's like, you need to lock it up. It's like, you just no. have no understanding no. of what it means. What it means. In those mean streets, man. <laughs> not the mean streets of where we are. But as an only child, you have these stereotypes of only kids. You know, of course. That they're spoiled, that they're selfish, that think they're the center of the universe. And yep. whether or not they're without justification, these are not adjectives I want to attach to my kid as he yes. grows up in the world. So what is it you and Jason are doing to make sure that Gage is not a stereotype, that he is able to grow up as well-rounded a person as he can, and that his true personality type, whether or not it's an Enneagram type or (laughs) Myers-Briggs, that his true personality shines through? You know, we we talk about it so much, the two of us, obviously, we don't, this isn't something we talk to Gage about, (laughs) so we want to make sure we're kind of handling that, but... One of the things I will tell you that's kind of the funny thing that we both do is we will say to Gage sometimes, hey, listen, when we're together and we're in this house and you're with us, we love you and we think you are the best thing in the universe. But when you walk out of this house, you're just a regular dude. Nobody thinks you're that fabulous. We're the only ones. No, no, Golly. no, he loves it. He thinks it's hilarious. He, he knows, knows exactly what we mean. He just thinks he's just regular. He knows exactly what we mean. And what I love about him that I think is a product of his um, being an only child is that he doesn't get any pushback. So every idea he has, he thinks is fantastic yeah. and he will just run with it. He's so That's creative. Great. He's super confident. He is the same person when he's outside of the house versus when he's inside the house. He's the same person with me that he is with his friends. He just has no qualms about it. And I love that about That's him. Fantastic. And neither, neither my husband or I have that in general. I mean, that's definitely something we see in him and we just kind of marvel at it. But, you know, we also do some of the normal stuff too. He has responsibilities at home and, you know, he doesn't get a free ride for sure, which I think goes a long way. That is something that we talk about. And, you know, I was thinking earlier when you were talking about how he's treated outside and I have seen I mean, he is a a charmer and I have seen, you know, teachers be like, well, I know he didn't get it turned in. I'm like, no. So like when he's, when I see him getting an easier ride outside, mm. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how we're doing this. And so I try to push him, right. you know, a little bit. So he gets a little bit of everything, I think. But th- those are just a couple of things we do. We try to make sure he's responsible and he knows he's got, he's part of the family and has responsibilities and expectations as being a part of a family even though he doesn't have siblings he is part of a unit that requires certain things of him and then when he's really rolling down that highway we'll just remind him that outside this house that label doesn't apply you're just a regular old dude (laughs) 
I try to stay away from parenting magazines because mm-hmm. they, they, they tend to compartmentalize experiences in people. Yeah. But some of the information that I have, when I was pregnant with Roman and soon after he was born and we we realized he was going to be an only child mm-hmm. because my, my kitchen closed. There was nothing else baking in the oven <laughs> when I hit a certain age. It was make sure that you continue to surround him with other kids and yes. make sure that your circle is big and that he or she are in team activities and mm-hmm. make sure that they have the exposure to being around other kids. And so we have continued to make a community of people that we live around. And in this area where we are, Roman calls all of my friends, auntie and uncle, and and he talks to people like they're his cousins. And it took him a while to realize that they're not biologically his cousins because he's like, how is she my cousin? I said, just that's your cousin. Just go with it. Just go with it. Yes. Yeah. But those are the those are the monikers we use. Those are the labels that we use. And that's just something that I know is cultural because growing up, again, like I said, my mom's friends were my aunts, my uncles. Yes. And I grew up with this whole bunch of cousins who were not biologically related to me. But you can't tell me they're not my family. Absolutely. You know, so the family is who you create and who you let into your family because they're people that you can rely on and depend on. And so I hope that when our podcast family listens to us, that they realize that that that's who we are. And we love that we are able to expand our family and to welcome new people into our family and to share experiences. It's not one-sided. Right now it's a one-sided conversation because we have the mics. But we love hearing the feedback and, and people reaching out to us on social media and just sharing their hearts with us. And we love having guests join our podcast. So thanks again for listening. And again, we hope that you take from this episode exactly what you needed to. But before we end, I think Tara said she had some questions that she wanted to throw I out. I do. Okay. It is the rapid I know fire we're not time. Uh-oh, we're yeah. not shocked. So Kanji, first question. Texting or talking? Texting. <laughs> What did we do before texting? It took me a while to get around to texting, and I'm very, very bad at it. I have a story to share with this audience. I'm going to have to put it on a blog oh, because it's, I gotta it's hear the most it embarrassing story about texting, but I need people to read it because I can't share it. Gotcha. It's embarrassing. It's gotcha. so embarrassing. But folks, if you text, make sure that you check your autocorrect before you send certain texts to coworkers. Oh, That's no. the only advice I'm going to share. Oh, okay. You know, and I was telling a friend of mine, the kids these days will never understand how we had to do it with the old phones. You know, hit the eight button four times to get the T. Like, I love how you call it an old phone because when you said old phone, I thought you were going to go back to that rotary oh, phone that was the in first my first cell phones kitchen. with the flip phones and you had to like 444-555 Like Morse code. Okay, next question. What was the last song you listened to? Hold on, let me pull up my phone. Oh, that's I'm going idea. to check it out. So the last song I listened to, I've been in a really nostalgic mood. Uh-huh. I just had my 25th college reunion. Wow. Virtually last month right and so i've been listening to a whole bunch of 90s hip-hop and r&b and i listened to the in vogue album right before oh which one funky divas the funky divas of course and i was listening to giving him something he can feel right before you rang the doorbell oh my god do you know how many times my friends and i acted out that video (laughs) i wanted those red dresses so bad can we can can I have you act it out and I'm going to put a video of there that up on my Instagram page? There might be a somewhere around there with VHS, that on it. Maybe. We are aging ourselves. Uh, we so, are. Sorry, okay, guys. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, okay, last question. I 
am rewatching Smash, which was a show on NBC. Oh God, I don't know how many years now. Did anybody watch it the first time? I mean, I, I have friends that. that watched it. It was it was fantastic. And uh, one of my favorite scenes is when Catherine McPhee sings "Shake It Out" by Florence and the Machine. Mm-hmm. And so I just watched it before I got in the car. So I had to listen to it when I got in the car. I love that song, Florence and the Machine. Florence and the Machine, "Shake It Out." So surprisingly enough, not '90s R&B okay. for me today. <laughs> Okay, and then the last question, do you prefer to ask permission or beg forgiveness? Oh, I don't ask permission to do anything anymore. <laughs> Why did I know the answer to that question? Because that's what <laughs> six eights do. We just boss up. There is that, what is the saying? The saying is, it is better, better to, to uh, beg, beg forgiveness, forgiveness than, than ask permission. permission. That's my life motto. If I had enough space, if I could text quickly, that's what I would text every single time. <laughs> but it took me a while to get here. Yeah. It really took me a while to get in the space where I am. And I had a hard time doing the Enneagram test because I'm like, oh, is this who I was? in my 20s or who I was in my 30s or if I'm answering the question where I am now I'm in a space where I'm just kind of unapologetically me Mm -hmm. and I'm bold and I'm trying not to be a people pleaser and I'm trying just to stand in my truth and live it and share it because I realize I have more years behind me than I likely have ahead of me Mm -hmm. and in this space I want to make the most of each and every day that I am blessed with. I am so excited and happy just to share this space with you. All the same I feel like you're just coaching me from right over there right now. I know. Just I just keep get on that exercise bike. I am ready. That's, That's what do I do. This. I just coach you. So thank you so much for joining us, podcast family. We hope that you join us again next week, same time, same place, as we continue the conversation. Don't forget, after you wrap up this episode, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and follow us on Spotify. You can find us all across those platforms. Thank you so much. Take a care. How long did we go? Mm-hmm. He's going to tell us. Yeah. You know our producer's going to just tell he us. Is, he's going to hate us for the Enneagram. He's going to be so mad. He'll be like, be God, like, ladies. I got to listen to all of this. <laughs> he's like, next time, can you please do this? All right, we're going to see what he says. Multitasking. Where'd he go? Is he parenting the child? Maybe. I doubt it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joey. <laughs> not gonna listen this far that'll be the ending fly on the wall i'll be like "Uh (laughs) uh-oh thanks tara it won't be i didn't say it he's not gonna be like he's he's gonna be like i'm still listening to this damn enneagram (laughs) so so yeah there was i think i said damn it you did at some point yeah that's why i went back because when we were setting up the podcast it was like is it going to be explicit or curse words? And we put no. Oh, yeah. So we're in the parenting category. Okay. I have to make sure that my... I thought about that on the way over because I was thinking about... I don't know if you do this, but sometimes during the day, I'll think about like a funny story. I might want to... If we if it works, I was going to say something about... I went for a run this morning and the Peloton instructor toward the end when it was like the last sprint, she said, get your S together. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I can't say what she said, but I can say S. I, guess. <laughs> I was just I was like, I, we don't want to It doesn't, but they'll get the point. <laughs> no, you got to change it. Get your, you do that. Get your life together. <laughs> That's right. I can yeah. do that instead. That's right. It just made me laugh because I was like, I bet I we're not going to cuss on the podcast. We can't cuss on the podcast, but I'm going to cuss you out for having a new fitness instructor. <laughs> okay. Well, Kanji, you retired. I did. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? All right. We'll get him and see what he says. Okay. See how long we went. I don't know how long we went.
He's gonna cut a bunch of that out. We went all over the place. Yeah, the he, he, that's why we were not getting comfortable for a minute. I was like, oh, I can't get in this. I, anyway, like, I don't know enough about Enneagram. I should have done more research. I thought I had enough. I, I did the test and that was enough for me. All right. So you're a six. So I'll tell you something funny. Six, eight, one, four, three, seven. So I'll tell you something funny. I'm a three, but I'm very closely almost tied six, nine. And so if you read the instructions, uh-huh. it says if you're a three, and you tie to six nine. That's like the most common tie. It's because they go together. So if you mm-hmm. look at them on the circle, three goes to six, goes to nine. It goes like this. That's what I thought I was going to be. Yeah, that's actually so those I'm are my three, numbers. six, nine. So it's achiever, loyalist, mediator. And I was like, yep, that makes sense. That's my roulette number. Because <laughs> <laughs> my birthday is June third. Oh, there you go. Six three. I there you go. That six three. Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, challenger. Uh, you know what? I can see because that I'm not confrontational you. at all. Well, but but see, the trick on these is you hear a word and you think it's negative. Like the bad word in mind that I don't like is image conscious. Mm. And I remember seeing that and be like, I am not superficial. I am not image conscious. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, I do kind of put a little bit me. stock That's of what me. people think of me. Like, That's I, me. That's I do that a little bit. I told you, girl. It's like you have been seen. <laughs> no. 